You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Derek Johnson, the host of Rock Chuck Sports Talk, going to join me on this one. He joined me for, I believe, the first episode of this podcast. Long time work buddy. We did a million of these shows together. So I wanted to have him on again to talk about KU's win over Oklahoma and some of the stories around this team right now. KU beats Oklahoma in Norman 67 to 64 on Tuesday. Ugly, gritty, grinded out game. There was an eight minute stretch, a little more than eight minutes in the second half where KU went one of 12 from the field. Oklahoma goes on a 20 to two run. Ochai hurt his wrist in the first half. It looked bad in real time. He was going for a loose ball and then sort of dove into the scores table. And I don't know if he hit his hand on the actual video board, the little ad board they have there. He may have hit it on the actual possession arrow. And there was a moment in time where I was wondering, did this dude just break his wrist? It was on his left hand. He comes back out with the wrist taped up, but it didn't seem to matter because he couldn't hit a shot. Uh, He still winds up scoring 10 points in the final five minutes and change, which proved to be pretty critical, because up until that point, KU's offense was stuck in the mud. Christian Brown hits the game winner in the corner, then he turns around and gives the fuck you stare to those Oklahoma bros. That would be such a great feeling, wouldn't it? To be on the road, hostile environment. These guys are talking trash the whole game. And he's one of those guys who is built for those moments. Like he is fueled by the trash talk, by the high-intensity environments. They must have not got the memo. That ends up being the game winner. KU escapes with the win. Remy Martin played 15 minutes. 13 of those were in the first half. He played two minutes in the second half. And this is when KU was laboring to manufacture any offense. And every single time that happens this season, I'm reminded of the KU offense from last year. The offense that didn't have an initiator, that didn't have a guy who could go and get a bucket, which is why, in large part, KU went out and got Remy Martin. Remy missed the previous two games with a knee injury, though there's been some question as to exactly how severe that injury was. Mike Vernon is a former reporter. He he broke a few stories last year with KU's AD search, um, self's contract extension. He put out on Twitter before the game that there was a rumor that Remy Martin was done for the season and that it wasn't related to his knee. Bill Self got asked about it afterwards, and he gave the most awkward, contrived, angry response imaginable, where he first described it as a bone bruise, and then he said, quote, on this particular situation, I know a hell of a fucking lot more than other people out there. I think he just wanted to curse because that's not 
Like, I understand wanting to speak with emphasis when you're saying, okay, I'm going to say the F word today. I'm going to say the F word just so people know how angry I am. But he used it so awkwardly that I couldn't really get past, like, wait, what were... What was that that you were trying to say there? This was the first time, by the way, that he anybody had described it as a bone bruise. We knew that he uh, Remy had injured it against Nevada. Uh, he came back, and then I think he re-injured it in the, the loss to Texas Tech. Doesn't mean anybody was lying. Teams conceal injuries all the time. So to act like this is some sort of master cover-up by KU would probably be a bit much. Then you've got Remy on the Allen Fieldhouse court getting shots up after the game as if to say nothing to see here, folks. I covered every KU home game for five years or so. Not one time did I see a player go out on the court after a game to get shots up. Not once. So that was an absolute PR move by KU by somebody in the athletic department to say, let's get out ahead of this. So what the hell is going on here? Here's my guess. Bill Self, Remy Martin, don't see eye to eye on how this season's going and what his role is on this team. Remy was brought in to be the alpha on a team that suddenly found itself with two damn good players in Ochai and Brown. And there's always going to be an adjustment for Remy. That was expected. But the expectation was never that he was going to be a third option. He has struggled mightily to fit in. The efficiency numbers are actually really good for him. Shooting numbers are up, but the volume is down. Not the worst thing in the world for an offense that's top five in the country based on any metric you want to use, but he cannot figure out what it means to be aggressive on this team. Be an offensive initiator while also playing within this offense and getting others involved. How do you be aggressive while also being selfless and also being a team player? He can't seem to figure that out. Maybe that was a miscalculation on Bill Self's behalf, that he thought... He could bring that out of him. Or maybe he still will at some point this year. I do think Remy is injured. He was dealing with back issues earlier, dealing with knee issues now. It's not made up. I also don't think there was ever any chance of him leaving this team. When I saw that report, I said, no fucking way. It's not going to happen. That never made any sense to me. But in every possible situation I can think of regarding tensions between Bill Self and a player, wherever there's been smoke, there's been fire. Brandon Green, LaGerald Vick are the two that come to mind for me. There were whispers about them not getting along with the coach until they were more than whispers and those guys were shown the door. I don't think that's what's happening here. But there is obviously tension. Can KU win the title without him? Maybe. But their margin for error gets significantly more narrow. We saw that on Tuesday night in the second half when this team couldn't buy a bucket. Remy was brought in to be a bucket getter. And he was planted firmly on the bench on Tuesday, according to Bill Self, because he didn't like the way he was playing. They've got to figure this out. And quite frankly, it's on Bill Self. You knew what you were signing up for with this kid. You had four years of data and tape that told you exactly who he was as a player. So if you want to be frustrated that you haven't been able to erase four years of bad habits in two months, that's fine. But that's what you were betting on when you brought him in. Beyond what it means for this team on the court, you cannot have this casting a shadow on your team off the court. You cannot have dissension among the ranks. It's so freaking hard to win a title in college basketball. Even if you're the most talented team in the country, the odds are stacked against you. You need every little thing to go right for you. And if you've got dudes in the locker room resenting others over rolls or touches or shots, 
it's going to affect you on the court. This is what Self and this team are working through right now. He's one of the best in the country at managing egos, and he may very well figure it out. But if you're going to fix it, you got to do it quick. Because the longer this lasts, the less likely you are to overcome it. Derek Johnson is the host of Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN Radio and Lawrence. You can hear that show weekdays from 3 to 6. If you listened to the very first episode of this podcast, you would have heard Derek on there because he was my first guest. And the reason why he was my first guest is the same reason why he is my guest today. Because Derek and I worked together for about five years on Rock Chalk Sports Talk, which means we've had a lot of conversations about KU basketball. And given the state of KU basketball, which is a good thing, but yet it's a busy thing. There are a lot of different things to dissect and discussed, I figured it would be appropriate to once again bring Derek on. It's always fun to catch up with an old friend. Let's hear it. Here is my conversation with Derek Johnson. Okay, I want to start with the Oklahoma game. Then we can maybe get into some more big picture stuff and, and what we're seeing from KU right now. But Hawks beat Oklahoma in Norman 67-64. It was one of the ugliest stretches of offense we saw there in the second half until it wasn't. Ochai, Christian, Jalen sort of take over down the stretch. KU ekes out a win. Uh, third straight win in Big 12 play. And that doesn't seem like one that we're going to get to the end of the season and be like, remember that one, right? Remember how big of a win that was? Because I'm not sure exactly how good Oklahoma is, but just based off how strong the Big 12 seems to be throughout. Like, if Oklahoma's a middle-of-the-pack team, those are the types of games you do have to win if you're going to win the Big 12. And uh, for stretches there, it looked like they weren't going to pull it out. What's what's kind of your just immediate reaction of how that game went and what that, that win means for KU? Yeah, first of all, like you said, any win on the road, good. The, the point spread was three and a half. So, like, you're right there. It's not like you were projected to win this thing by 12 points or anything, any road win in the big 12, you'll take it. Um, I think first of all, don't piss off Christian Brown. That would be number one, the Oklahoma fans who were kind of talking crap to him as he was uh, taking that three pointer that ended up uh, giving him the win and everything. And then he hits the two clutch free throws. And I, I think beyond that, obviously Remy Martin's always going to be a storyline with how he was and was not used in the game. But honestly, like the biggest takeaway for me is that Jalen Wilson is really starting to build some some strong performances back-to-back. It's, it's one thing if you do it once in a blue moon, but now they're starting to stack together. And I think there is a big correlation for Jalen between being in the starting lineup and performing better. Um, I do think there is maybe a little bit of, you know, chicken and the egg, like what happened first? Was he playing better in practice and in games that led to the starts? But I think for a guy like Jalen who – came into the year and was expected to be one of your best players on the team, was expecting to have a good enough year to go to the NBA draft. And then all of a sudden you have the setbacks that he did self-inflicted with the decision for the DUI and everything. And then missing the opening game, struggling to kind of get accustomed, get his, his, uh, I guess, rhythm going uh, with the bench unit and, and coming off the bench into the game. And it just felt like, I don't know, the confidence maybe wasn't there. And then you get into the starting lineup and you almost feel like, okay, I don't have to worry about, did I do enough today to work into the starting lineup? And I was looking earlier today. I haven't checked since the Oklahoma game ended, but coming into today, his shooting splits of games where he came off the bench versus versus starting were insane. It's like 33% off the bench, 
58% as a starter. And you could just say, okay, well, it's a small sample size. The big one that didn't make sense off the bench, he was five of 15 at the free throw line versus being a starter. He was shooting really good numbers from the free throw line, which that to me signals maybe there was a mental block there. And so having him be a good player for this team, especially without us really knowing what the role of Remy Martin is going to be moving forward, that means other guys have to step up. And Jalen Wilson is one of those guys that's doing that right now. So he started five games this year, Jalen has. He started almost every game. I think he got benched for that Tennessee loss last year when they got blown out in Knoxville, but he started five of the last six games. But the the games that we're really looking at with Jalen are Texas Tech, West Virginia, and Oklahoma. So that's three of your last four where you go 20 points in the loss to Texas Tech. He scores 23, eight rebounds, five assists, his best game of the season against West Virginia, and then against Oklahoma, 16 points, eight rebounds. You could argue the last two games have been the best player for KU. So maybe it's starting, and I'm not saying it's not because these are college kids and I think like they do care more about starting than maybe we would think they would. Like It does affect them when the coach doesn't trust them to be out there. But to me, I, I, maybe this is a half-baked theory, but I think there is something to the idea of Remy not being out there as much lately and Jalen playing better. Because Remy's only played two of the last four games. He played, I think it was 12 minutes in the loss to Texas Tech. He played 15 minutes against Oklahoma. Those were all in the first half. You go back to last year and the role that Jalen found himself in on a bad offensive team for Kansas, he was the best initiator that they had because Marcus wasn't a true point guard. Ochai wasn't even close to the guy he was this year. Same can be said for Christian Brown. They didn't have anybody who could go put the ball on the deck, draw defense in, get to the rim, get fouled, do any of that stuff offensively. You fast forward to this year, well, Ochai has changed. Christian has changed. And you bring in Remy Martin, who is a ball-dominant guard. All of a sudden, Dewan Harris is your secondary ball handler. I think Jalen found himself in, in this sort of weird limbo of, who, well, what do I do? If, if all of these guys are going to be the scorers and Remy and Dewan are going to be the primary and secondary ball handlers, like, what the hell am I supposed to do offensively? Like, there's the, the dirty guy work, right? There's the rebounding and, and doing work defensively and setting hard screens, all that stuff. It's great. But in terms of getting this dude comfortable in an offensive role, he didn't have one. And with Remy being sort of removed from the equation, and we can get into that stuff later, it has opened up more opportunities. Like one of the best plays of the game, or two of the best plays of the game for Jalen against Oklahoma, were him being the ball handler in a pick-and-roll situation. That's stuff that he doesn't get to do a lot this year. With Remy out, they're putting the ball in his hands more, and you're seeing him get more comfortable. So maybe it's starting, but regardless of where you land on it, they're the same thing. It's the same conclusion. It's KU going out of their way to get him more involved offensively. And the more they do that, the better he looks. And the better he looks, the more options that this team has offensively. The question for me now becomes, can he and Remy both coexist? Because we haven't seen well, it yet know, this year. I mean, the tough part there, too, with, you know, going back to, like, does starting matter, is that they're probably directly in competition with each other for that spot. Because if you're saying, like, okay, well, once Remy is is back fully healthy or, or whatever, like, he'll be in the starting lineup, who are you taking out? Because 
Uh, you're probably not going to take out Dewan Harris. He's playing like 35 minutes a game. Uh, that's, you know, um, he's your best kind of ball mover and, and uh, best perimeter defender on the team. Uh, maybe you would say Ochai, but. Uh, well, he's like, a, I, I compare him to a ball hawking cornerback. Like I joked on Twitter. I was like, he's, he's Marcus Peters. Like he's not all, he's not a lockdown defender, but he's very opportunistic. He reads defenses. He reads passes before the team even makes them. And. It's a, a very valuable role on a on a team for a coach who values defense. Yeah, and so if you're not going to take Dewan out of the starting lineup, obviously it wouldn't be Ochai or Christian. Um, it's not going to be Dave because if you take out Dave, it's just taking out Dave for a different set. Okay, let's not yeah. let's let's even change the conversation. Then let's not even make it about the starting lineup. Let's say it's the end of the mm-hmm. game, the last five minutes. Who do you want on the court? I mean, is it almost situational? Is it almost hey, if we're winning the game? Dewan Harris is on the floor for defense. If he's not, then we're putting Remy in for Dewan. Maybe because yeah, I mean, Dewan's uh, he's never going to be the offensive player that Remy is, and vice versa. But now we're we're reaching the the Remy Martin point of this conversation, where we're, we're trying to figure out what the hell he is to this team. There has been a lot made of his situation and his status and potential tension with Bill Self. Over the last couple of days, he didn't play in the game against West Virginia. Afterwards, rumors circulating on Twitter. It was Mike Vernon on Twitter who said that he heard that there was tension uh, between Bill Self and Remy and that uh, Remy could potentially be done. Uh, Bill Self had some pretty choice words after the game. Uh, And then all of a sudden, there was this dog and pony show where Remy's out on the on the court afterwards, shooting around as if to prove that this guy's fine. He's not going... Give me a fucking break, first off. I've covered 100-plus games in that arena. Every single time I walk out onto the arena to leave and go to my car, I have never once seen a player on the Allen Fieldhouse court doing shoot-around after the game. So the idea that Remy Martin just decided he was going to go do shoot-around and it, oh, it just happened to coincide on the same night that all this has happened, like, total bullshit, and that's a perfect example of KU caring about things they don't need to care about. It was petty, it was stupid, it was pointless, but that is college athletics in a nutshell. Needless to say, like, Remy Martin's not leaving the program. I feel confident about that. Now, maybe I'll be proven to be wrong. I don't think he's going to leave because of tensions between he and Bill Self, but there is clearly something that is not meshing between those two, and that is, to me, one of the big questions moving forward. Like, we can talk about the on-court stuff, but in order for KU to be the best version of themselves. They need Remy Martin. They just do. They can win without him, and they can be a good team without him. But it's an arms race in college basketball. There's a reason KU went out and got him in the in the offseason, and they've got to figure out a way to make this work if they want to be the best version of themselves, which I think they'll need to be to win a national championship. Yeah, I think that's partially why the West Virginia game was so important. And you could group this one in. I, I, you could go either way. You could say, well, the offense struggled for that big stretch, and so clearly you need Remy Martin. You could also say, despite having two points in eight minutes, you still were able to get a, a big road win. But um, I think that's why the West Virginia game was so important because you showed that even without Remy Martin, you can be a really good team. And to that point, they hadn't done that. The games he had missed, even in wins, like the Iowa State win, the, it was a sluggish game. The offense didn't get going. You hadn't shown that the offense could be good without Remy Martin. So then – you maybe switch that a little bit. Um, but the problem is, if you're looking at like the long term of winning a title, like you're saying, of, of reaching a Final Four, something like that, 
it just makes the margin for error so much more slim because if Remy Martin is not playing or not playing healthy or, or in a big enough role, then it basically means a bunch of stuff has to happen. Ochai has to play like a national player of the year candidate, which he probably does anyway, regardless of Remy or not. Um, Christian has to, has to play like an all league player, which from a statistic standpoint, he has been doing though really until this game against Oklahoma, he had been struggling shooting the ball since December. In the month of January, his numbers went way down. They needed those to get back up if Remy's not playing. You need Dave to look like second-half Dave from last year. You need Jalen to look like he's looking now. You need one of Joe Yesifu or Bobby Pettiford, maybe even both, to at least give you, you know, 10, 15 quality minutes off the bench because you'd need another ball handler. It's not that those things can't happen. Like, all of them very well could happen. But that is just a lot of asks to try to accomplish if Remy Martin's not playing. And that's what you would need to be a national title contender, a national title winner, if Remy Martin's not giving you what you were expecting. And it's so weird, but early in the season, it was a back injury. Then he injures the knee against Nevada, comes back, the report was that he re-injured it, banged it in practice. There was more swelling. That's what led him to to miss two games. And I don't doubt that Remy's dealt with injuries. I know that the back thing was real. I know that the knee thing is real. I don't know to what extent it's keeping him off the court, but it seems to be a hindrance to his play. In terms of the ongoing tension or the battle with Bill Self and what they want him to be versus who he thinks he is and how he needs to play... Bill Self knew what they were signing up for when they went and got him, all right? They had four years of tape on Remy Martin at Arizona State, so there was no confusion as to, like, what this guy wants to do when he's on the court. But when you're a Hall of Fame coach and you're a program like Kansas, like, there's this built-in belief, you call it hubris, call it whatever you want, that we're going to get this guy to play the way we want him to because this is his last shot. He wants to prove to NBA teams that, that he can be a pro, and he wants to win a title, wants to play on a big stage. But there seems to be, even in his head, this dilemma of what exactly am I supposed to be doing? Like, in terms of aggression, what does aggression mean, right? Does it mean looking for my own shot or looking to score? I'm curious as to how that's going to play out because we're now two months into the season and he's still trying to figure out like what it means to be aggressive and what it means to be the point guard that this team wants him to be. It's interesting. It's almost like a mix of, like, I, I wouldn't say it's this far, so I, I'm just using this as, as like, the, the wide end of the spectrum, but a mix of LeGerald Vick, and again, not that far, and Malik Newman, where it's like Malik Newman was, you know, he wasn't non-existent, but he was not nearly the guy he was in March, and that's kind of the, the high end of what you hope happens, whereas the LeGerald Vick situation, his last year at Kansas is, is like the, I guess, the disaster scenario, but he still is the one guy on the team that, you know, because Ochai, still, he's a phenomenal shooter, so efficient. Um, Christian, so good at cutting. He can hit threes. Um, with Dave, you know what you're getting. With, with Jalen, even though he can, you know, drive in, in straight line drives, get a guy on his hip and finish through some, some contact or, or hit shots when he's right, you still don't really have anybody on the team besides Remy that, can shake and bake and hit his own shot. Like Joe Yesifu, the idea of Joe Yesifu, or the guy he was the last two months at Drake, was that, but you just haven't really gotten him into the rotation enough, and, and he clearly doesn't really have a firm hold on the rotation to make that matter. Um, so Remy is the one guy that that would happen for. And in situations like you had in the Oklahoma game where you have two points in eight minutes, 
there's a lot of those times when, again, like Remy Martin doesn't have to score 20 points, but if the, the 12 points he's averaging come in big times, like for instance, Stephen F. Austin game, where you have those big shots late in the game, if they come in that eight minute stretch where instead of it being two points in eight minutes for KU, he hits two shots at the end of shot clocks um, during that eight minute stretch and he has six points during the eight minutes, all of a sudden, instead of KU being down four there at the end of the game, it's a tie game, right? And it's just, it's different scenarios. He's still the one guy. And I think once you get to March, we always talk about guards winning in March. If Remy is not where I guess the desired outcome is for him, like that's the biggest question. I know we said, can they still win a title and make a final four without him? Yes, they can. But it just becomes more difficult tenfold because then at that point you're basically saying, well, if we're picking teams in March based on guard play for Kansas, are we picking you because of Dewan Harris? Is, is that the one reason? Because Dewan, again, fine player, but he's not going to be the reason that you're picking Kansas to beat some two seed or something like that in the Elite Eight. No, like, like you said, that's... <laughs> Juwan Harris has a very useful role for this team, but there's a reason why they went out and tried to shore up their point guard spot with guys like Remy and Yesifu. What's funny is that despite everything we talk about with Remy and fitting in offensively, to me it's more of right now a chemistry thing than it is a basketball thing because this has an effect on it. I'll tell you that right now. If, if there is stuff going on where he's injured or maybe he's not as injured as he's leading on to be. He's healthy enough to play, but he doesn't want to. He's battling with the coaches on roles, whatever. If that's happening, it affects the team. It just does. Because guys are sitting there saying, what the fuck is going on? We're winning games. We're trying to win a national championship. We've got this one guy who's been here for a cup of coffee who's bitching about how many touches and how many shots he's getting. That has a negative impact on the team that's probably where a lot of the, you know, the consternation from Bill Self comes from, where it's like, dude, you've, you've got to sacrifice. Like, there have to be sacrifices to be made. And I'm sure Bill is sitting there saying, I've made sacrifices to the point where I do let you take some shots that normally I wouldn't. Yet with all of this, from a basketball standpoint, KU still boasts a top five offense in the country. Like, <laughs> Hey, we, we, we sit here and we talk about all of these different things that need to happen. They're one of the most efficient offenses in the country. I don't know if you think that's fool's gold, but I also wonder if we're making too much out of all of this. No, I, th- I think it's real. I think, honestly, if anything, you could argue, like, if, uh, again, it's the big question mark. Like, we don't know with Remy Martin, how much is he going to play? Where is he going to play? All that stuff. Um, but when it is all right and well, I think they're a top three offense. And and the importance there, I was doing some research at one point in the season when, when it, KU was really at kind of their, their high point offensively. It might have been after the Missouri game. And uh, I went back and looked during the Ken Palm era. So 2002 on, obviously there was no NCAA tournament one of those years a couple years ago. Um, so that gives you 19 years of um, NCAA tournament, Final Four teams, champions, so forth. 14 of the 19 teams who won a title had top three or top five offenses. So if you're a top five offense that gets you a pretty good shot at, you know, being a title team. And um, I think it was about a 30% clip of teams who had a top three offense over the course of that span 
went on to make the final four. It was, it was a little under 30%. So if, if you're saying going into a tournament that we have a, a basically one in four chance of making a final four, those are unbelievable odds. And that, that's basically what you have your top three offense. So that's important to, to remember here as we look at kind of the, the broader scope of things. Like you said, this is still one of the most elite offenses in the country, but that's what we're talking about here. If Remy Martin, they get this figured out and, and all these players like Jalen, his improvement is real. And, and Dave starts uh, continuing to have some games like West Virginia and Oklahoma state. And you're talking about them as a top three offense. That's the breath that we're talking about, that this team is a legit national title winner in a year where, you know, there pretty much is not a lot of separation between teams, probably like two through 10, maybe. Which leads me to big Dave and Mitch Lightfoot and this front court conundrum, because I'm way more concerned about the interior defense and the defensive rebounding on this team than I am the offense. Like the offense, they may have off nights. They may have stretches where Ochai can't get it going and, then all of a sudden they're searching. I have no freaking clue what's going to happen with Remy. I have way less optimism that this team is going to figure anything out defensively. And that is the part where I wonder, can they still win a title? With this interior defense, with being this bad on the defensive glass, should I even be taking this team seriously as a title contender? Okay, see, this is this is what I think is interesting. Um what if I told you, like, because the Oklahoma game, you would say that was not a good interior defensive game, right? No, no, not at all. Okay, what if I told you KU held Oklahoma 9% below what they shoot normally on twos? 9%. Do you, okay, okay. Did you, while watching that game, did you think, like, wow, KU is really stout. They're, they're, they're contesting a lot of shots, they're... They're breaking or they're stopping guys from driving. Like they're getting in the way. Like, did you did you think that in real time or was that just a case of Oklahoma not having a good night? No, I I, I I'm not leading to anything. I'm genuinely yeah. curious. Yeah, no, I I, um, I guess this is where I'm going with this. Um, I think yes, there is a worry there. There's a concern, and when you look at KU's two losses, I don't think it's it's uh, far you know, a way to, to say that the biggest reason why was the two point defense. Like if you just look at their two worst games by two point defense, Texas tech and uh, uh, oh, what was the other team they lost to that starts uh, Dayton. Those were their two worst games of the season by two point defense. So there is a very strong correlation between how they've defended the twos and, and their biggest losses. And yes, but I guess what I, I I'm saying from last night, I like, I, I have a, I don't want to be too harsh on that one game. Oklahoma was third in the country. They were shooting 60% on twos coming into that game. That's unbelievable. Like they do such a great job spacing the floor with a stretch five who's on the floor and they just kill you with cuts and, and it makes it really hard to defend. So can you holding them to 51% on twos? Again, it wasn't a, a good game from the defense. I'm not saying that. I just don't think it's the worst thing in the world. And if you go to conference only numbers, a very small sample size, four games for KU, five for some other Big 12 teams. They're second in the conference, even after giving up a, a pretty solid number to Oklahoma in two-point defense. So, again, it's it's a concern because we've seen games where it's been a huge problem, like Dayton and Texas Tech, and that scares you. 
but I don't think it's enough of a problem that makes me think like it's impossible to win with this defense. Yeah, I mean, this is not the first time we've said this about a team, and I mean, even last year where you kind of say, okay, where's the rim protection? They're not getting much, and that's the one thing in any given season, if a, if a, if a Bill Self team is struggling at that I will just have blind faith in that they'll manufacture some production defensively, like the track record is just there. He's really good at doing it. I think what's more concerning is the defensive rebounding. Mm-hmm. Because you, I think that's um, I'm looking at their conference numbers right now. I mean, it's only five games in the Big 12 play, but uh, they're dead last in defensive rebounding, and that is that's going to be a non-negotiable, right? Regardless of that, because that has nothing to do with style of play or the opponent that you're going up against. If you're getting killed on the defensive glass, game in and game out. Either you're going to lose games or games are going to be tighter down the stretch than they need to be. I, I think this almost, it's, it's weird. It almost goes back to how David McCormick does offensively. And here's what I mean by that. Um, when Dave struggles on offense and gets in his own head and is dropping passes and, and everything, then it just puts him in a tizzy. And then he's only playing like 10 to 12 minutes. When Dave is right offensively, he's going to play 20, 25 minutes in that game. And if you look at like on-off numbers, if you look at defensive ratings, KU's better with Dave in the, in the game. Remember, I, I just said, KU's two worst two-point shooting defensive games, Dayton and Texas Tech. You know what the, the combinations of those games saw? David McCormick really struggled offensively, and you couldn't keep him in the game. Remember the Dayton game? Everybody was talking about why is David McCormick still playing. And in the Texas Tech game, you threw out Zach Clements for like 10 minutes. Mitch Lightfoot yeah. started the game. So there is a huge correlation between KU getting good offense from David McCormick because he's their best rim protector on the floor. He's their best defensive rebounder of, of the big man. So they, they need him to play well offensively to get those things to the max level. And, and that's a little scary that you are relying so much on a guy that has been so up and down. As far as the defensive rebounding, I, that's that's more than Dave, obviously. Um, that's something weird because Jalen was so good at it in the non-conference, so was Christian, and that kind of has fallen off in conference play. So I, I don't know what to totally think of that. But, yeah, I mean, a big part of it just is on, like, is David McCormick playing well or not? That's a scary proposition uh, going down the stretch. We've seen four years of, at least to this point, to know, Dave is going to have his nights. He's going to have his moments, but you should never expect any level of consistency from him. So, if that's the way it's going to be the rest of the year, then uh, it'll be a a fun roller coaster ride for Kansas. Uh, I don't have anything else unless you had any other big takeaways. I know you do this every day for three hours, so I'm sure you've got plenty in the hopper. But uh, good stuff as always, man. Always enjoy it. Thanks for hopping on with me. Absolutely, man. Nice catching up. As always, if you could like, rate. Review, subscribe, wherever you're listening. iTunes, the Odyssey app, or odyssey.com slash 610 Sports Radio. Thank you once again for giving me 30-plus minutes of your time this week. We'll see you next time.
You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.